dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. If we look to sacred scripture for examples of great leadership, many names come to mind. St. Paul, St. Timothy, St. John. But what about the Virgin Mary? Doesn't her life have anything to teach us about leadership? Independently of the various faith traditions out there, what can we learn about leadership by looking at the life the Bible presents us? I think we can learn a lot. In this second of a 13-part series, I want to peer into the leadership lessons of Mary's early life and the solitude that made her strong. Well, thanks, everybody, for being courageous enough to do this little experiment with me, right? Trying to tie leadership in with the life of the Virgin Mary. It's daring for many reasons. Number one, not everybody's Catholic, right? And so some people have a greater reticence about talking about Mary than others. And then, of course, number two, like what in the world are you going to say about this sweet maiden who's pictured holding flowers, you know, and, and and leadership, especially if you look at the business world and all that we have to deal with as managers, as business owners, as people that are trying to push the professional world forward. It's a real challenge. And that's why I want to take it, right? Because the St. John Leadership Network, we're all about challenge, right? And number one, and number two, I actually think there's a lot to look at. And when you look at her life, because she's like we are, we are trying to lead right from a position of faith. That means that we are following Jesus, which is why we're leading everyone else. Okay, so like if I'm looking at my work position as a Christian looks at my work at their work position, well, I look at it as an act of service. This is a gift that I give through my work to the world. I give good goods and good services and a good working environment to generate wealth that I use well for the benefit of the world. So what I'm actually doing through my company or through my professional service is making the world better. That's of course, when I do that, I'm on God's team. <laughs> Because that's what God is doing, right? It's like God, the Savior of the world, saves the world through his body, the Christians. And Christians deploy that salvation in many places, their family, for example, their society, and the world of business. So therefore, like I understand that that means that I'm doing that for the, for the sake of Christ and for the sake of God, but I'm not just doing it independently of Christ. I'm doing everything I do by his grace and with him, I'm a member of his body as a Christian. Well, that means that then I'm following him. I need to be actually attentive to Jesus Uh, docile to Jesus, obedient to Jesus, so that he can do his work through me. Well, that means that I'm in this middle position. I'm not the Lord, but I'm also not the broken world. I am the Christian who is the bridge for the Lord to work in his broken world and for the broken world to come to the Lord. So that's why we, we, in in the Catholic tradition, we refer to this as being the church militant. It doesn't mean the church in, uh, you know, in a hostile way. It means the church at work, right? We are the, we're the body of Christ in the world working 
working out our salvation and working for the salvation of the world. We, but, we, but we're doing things. A Christian lay person is a person of action, right? We are engaged in the secular society to transform it. Well, once we do that, we look around, we're like, who else did that? Ah, well, amongst the many examples, St. Paul, St. Peter, you also have the Virgin Mary. And at least, you know, in the Catholic tradition, Mary has always been honored to a high degree. And so regardless of what you think about this or that, let's look at it just from a biblical point of view. This was a pretty important lady, right? She was the one whom God chose to be the mother of his son. And to be the mother of the son in a very unique way in that not only just to give birth, but to then rear that child and then follow her son and in his apostolic life all the way to being at the foot of his cross, right? This is a, and then to gather the, the apostles around her praying with them in the upper room at Pentecost. This was not a trivial position. Uh, She was the one whose word incited the very first miracle of Christ. It was at her her request that Jesus changed the water into wine. She was there, present. And so you you look at that and you say, "Well, well, okay, let's look at her then as an image. How did she follow Christ and how did she impact the world? How was she that bridge that I talked about? Right? And how did, how did she do that? And that's where it comes to play for each one of us. She becomes a model for us, not the only one, but certainly a wonderful one of the same life that we live. And maybe this will help many people who aren't Catholic, for example, to come closer to Mary. Like, how, how can I appreciate the per, this person? What the church has always said about Mary, which I find very beautiful, is that the reason we appreciate her is that she is the first among believers, Right? She's not the Messiah. She's not the Redeemer. She is a believer like us. And yet her faith, her hope in Christ was wonderful to behold and is an example for us who are following Jesus with her. We can look to her as an incredible example. You could even say the best example of what it means to be dedicated to Jesus Christ. And so that, that's why we do that anyway. So I just want to take a look at that. And from that framework, start to understand the power of her life in terms of leadership. And the very first point that I find so marvelous is that in her life before the angel came, Mary was already outstanding in who she was. And there was, if everything that we do flows from who we are, then Mary's service as the mother of God must have flowed from a heart that was marvelous. We know that God equips his saints for the service that he's asking them to do. Well, the service that God's going to ask Mary to do is unlike anyone else's. And you can even say it's more challenging than anyone else's. I mean, to be the mother of the son of God for 30 years before he begins his apostolic life. Uh, What does that require from a human person? What must her heart have been like? Who was this woman whom God called to bear his son? And and how did he prepare her? There are many people that could say, well, no, there's no preparation at all. He just took a sinner and he just made the sinner just do something like that. And I'm like, that's not fitting. You can, you can argue that if you want. I mean, but the tradition is to the opposite. It's to say that's not how God works. That God prepares a person for the, the, the task he's going to ask them to do. 
and that it wouldn't be fitting for God just to come in and say, I'm just going to take someone just like anybody else and just ask her to physically give birth to my son. That's not what a mother is. I mean, a mother gives her whole self to her children. She pours her heart out upon the child. Wouldn't it be fitting if the child is the son of God <laughs> that the heart that God is going to ask to be poured out upon that child be something holy, be, be wonderful, not only be sinless, but also be, will just be full of grace. Oh my gosh, isn't that what the angel says? Hail Mary, full of grace. You who have been graced by God. It's almost, it's a fitting analogy anyway. I want to peer into that. I want to say, who was this woman before the Annunciation? And what, what can we see there that could be a pattern for something we can imitate in our own life as leaders today? Are you a young adult between the ages of 22 and 35 and wondering what God is calling you to do next? Do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, June 25th through July 1st at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit www.daregreatthings.org slash riseabove. So what do we know about the Virgin Mary before the Annunciation? Well, we know actually can, we, we, we know a lot. I mean, and, and one of the points that is the most remarkable about her life is the solitude that she must have possessed deep inside. And I love talking about solitude because solitude for me, it's a fruit of identity. When someone knows their name and knows who they are, they own their actions and activity from, from like deep down inside, like they hold it in a source uh, that comes from within them called who they are. One of the biggest calamities of our day isn't that we have all kinds of evil on the outside and attacks happening and this and that. It's that we're not strong enough on the inside to withstand the attacks. It's almost like that quote from Rocky Six, right? <laughs> Can you believe it or not? We're going to quote Rocky Six, but we are because in Rocky Six, Rocky says that it's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. And when you think about it, it's true. Uh, life isn't so much about who's got more strength on the outside as it is who is more determined on the inside to get to the end goal no matter what. And when you really analyze that, you say, well, what gives that, what makes that determination? What's that the source of people who succeed in, in the face of all odds? And, and, and I want to say that at the source of it is solitude. And there's a mystery there. There's, a, there's a, a phenomenon of our human experience that's really worth peering into. The, 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 whenever you meet somebody who's made it to the top, either in their own marriage, for example, or in business, or in their family life, a choice, when people have made a choice and a decision to do something intentionally, that choice and that decision to act with that purpose it's flowing out of a spot deep down inside of their soul. And it's a spot that they own and say, for this, I will be responsible. I'm going to choose to dedicate my life, myself, my action, my time, right? Or my resources intentionally towards this desired end, right? And once you have that, that dedication inside, you, you also then stand alone as being responsible 
for what you have chosen to do. Right? That's a description of some of the elements that I, in this, this phenomenon that I call solitude. The solitude of a leader, because every time that you are intentionally leading, to do it correctly, you have to have that flow from deep down inside of who you are. There is a, a link that a leader makes between the activity that they do on the outside and the responsibility that they bear for it on the inside. And the more profound that link is, where they put themselves in the action and put themselves behind the action, well, the more effective that action is liable to be. The, the deeper the impact it will make and it, the greater its own propensity to inspire other people. In other words, if you really want to change the world, put yourself in it. <laughs> right? The, the more that that leader is present in their actions, makes it something that flows from who they are, aligns their deep values with the task at hand, not only the more successful they're going to be, but the more that the, what they do has meaning and value. There are a few things less inspiring than when people don't care about what they're doing. I mean, isn't it something when we look around our society today, in America anyway, we, we see this as almost a constant. People don't seem to really care. They're in it for the paycheck. I came to work for the paycheck. I came to, do you care about the product? Do you care about the bigger picture? Well, no, I don't. You're just basically buying my time from me. And if someone down the street would pay me 10 cents more an hour, I probably would go there. Well, you can understand that on the one hand, that's understandable. But on the other hand, boy, that's not going to really sustain the cause. That's not really going to push our society forward. What's going to push our society forward are people who put their hearts into what they do and expand the world around them. And what's at the source of that? Well, if you go and say, how do I get my people to really invest in what they're doing every day as if it mattered, and it will be aligning the values that are inside of their hearts, inside of who they are with what they're trying to do. If I can untap the, the energies that are present in someone's identity, I will also untap the, their power to transform their world. And that's the type of energy that I see in the Virgin Mary. And believe it or not, when you, when you look at her life, her life is full of solitude. She's solitary, number one. Geographically, look at where she exists. I mean, she's way outside of the sphere of influence. The sphere of influence is in Jerusalem, and God's going to go and ask the, for a woman to do the most powerful thing a woman has ever done in history, to give birth to the, uh, the Son of God under the motion of the Holy Spirit. And where does he go to find her? <laughs> he doesn't go to the Rotary Club of Jerusalem. Right? He doesn't go to the whatever, the, the, the Young President's Club or, you know, of, of Jerusalem. He, he goes to the countryside where a woman is sitting in solitude, unknown. You see, this is just what's so powerful about the relationship between solitude and leadership and why true leadership needs to flow from solitude. It's that you can't fake it. You can't fake leadership. You can't fake the impact that your life can make when it's put in the hands of God. And so you have to be real. And solitude means that you are real. When you've claimed your name, when you know who you are, when you've allowed God to define your life, the one who created you, to tell you who you are, 
Well, then you're free with respect to the world and you're free with respect to everybody else who is going to you know, be following you. And instead of letting someone else dictate the, the measures of our leadership, we follow in the footsteps of Christ and therefore we make the deepest impact that we can. And this is why it's so wonderful to see the Virgin Mary being called by name by the angel Gabriel and being told by the angel Gabriel that she has found favor in the eyes of God. Now, of course, that can be very unnerving because now Mary's got to look around and say, I mean, who was going to validate this? Who is going to say that this is possible? And who's going to say that this is even good? And she has no one to validate it. I mean, she's alone. See, the world itself can't understand because she's not going through a worldly measure to be validated by God or be chosen by God. She didn't go to a school. She didn't be, she wasn't educated in a social setting that allowed for, you know, advancement. She, she was a female in a far flung, flung place in a country that was dominated by a different political power, but she was Mary. Her name was given to her by God. And when she leans into that and leans into his word as the reference point for what she's going to do, well, you find yourself looking at the perfect icon of Christian leadership. She is completely in reference to obedience to God and therefore completely free to influence the world around her. And boy, will she ever do that. <laughs> giving birth to the Messiah of Israel, giving birth to the Savior of the world, mothering him, sending him forth, and standing at the foot of the cross as he, as he consummates all of the mission of God for human history. This is quite a lady. And yet look where it started from. A small maiden, lost in a small village, unknown to the world but known by God. You see, solitude makes for great leaders. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So we're trying to appreciate a little bit about what God teaches us in the Bible about leadership. We're looking especially today and in this series at the, at the heart of the Virgin Mary, trying to understand what Mary teaches us about leadership. And the very first lesson that we look at is Mary before the Annunciation already had a unique relationship with God. She already was one in whom God rejoiced, the fullness, who had received the fullness of grace, right? Full of grace. Uh, Mary, who had been chosen by God and prepared before the Annunciation, already with a special relationship. Now, on the one hand, that sounds marvelous to have a special relationship with God, but I also want you to realize just what solitude that puts you in. I mean, if you really are being prepared by God's grace for something tremendous in your life, you know how this can feel. You look, you look back, for those of you who have a special relationship with, with the Lord and with God, you, you know that there's something different about you. Well, it means that it separates you from others. I mean, I mean who, who could have been Mary's best friend growing up? I'm sure, I'm sure she had some, you know, I'm not saying that, but very quickly, someone who's got God moving in their soul, it, it's hard to, for them to find friends. It's hard for them to relate or have other people relate to them because there's a fire burning inside. This has been the case of many people through the years. Think about for, for marriages, when one spouse really discovers the power of religion, 
it can make the other spouse sometimes feel uncomfortable as if they're not enough anymore for the heart of their spouse. And it's because they're not, right? Their spouse has found the love of God and is pushing forward into something even greater. But that means that there's a certain solitude that they, that they find themselves in. With whom can you really relate when you are, you've received the, the fullness of grace? Just think about that. Who, who could have been Mary's equal? And don't we feel that way too? I mean, how many of you right now know that because of the gifts that you have, it's, it's, it's hard for you to, to relate and find friends. There's a, a type of solitude that comes because of the weight of the gifts that we, that we have. Because friendship requires equal equality between two people. You can only be friends with somebody who's like you. But if nobody's like you or, or you don't find anyone who is like you, well, then you're in for a loneliness sometimes that only God can fill. And I think it's really important that those of you who feel that way step into that, that you not be afraid to be unique. Why? Because God is enough and his love is enough. And if you know that can lend us to across sometimes a feeling outside of, of the society of others, it allows us to serve the others and to form a new kind of community that's really based on the love of God. If we let it, it can be difficult. And yet that's the path Mary had to trot. I mean, think about it. She was holier than her husband, right? So she, she was closer to God than St. Joseph was. Well, now that's quite, a, that's quite a scenario. You'd like to be able to hide underneath your husband, to have your husband lead you, you know, to, towards God in, from the inside. And yet, in fact, Mary was closer to God than St. Joseph was. And closer to God than St. Elizabeth was. And closer to God than, frankly, anybody else was because she was the mother of God. But, I mean, but think about what that, what that forced her into, the solitude that that created. Now, isn't it amazing that this same solitude, when you watch it throughout her life, allows her to play the role of a mother for the church? There's a, there's a couple texts that say that, right? Like in John 19, 27, where Jesus tells John, behold your mother. And then of course, at Pentecost, where all of the apostles are gathered in prayer with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then even in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, where it says that the woman, who is an obvious reference to the mother of God, is the mother of all those who bear witness to Jesus and keep the commandments of God. So is that amazing? From solitude into motherhood. Because she accepts to have God as the highest reference point, her heart can open to the whole expanse of humanity. You see, it's just the opposite of what we think. Sometimes people think if I get in religion or if I, if I follow God too much, it's going to make me incapable of relating to others. Well, no, there's a, it'll carve a solitude into your heart, absolutely, with respect to others. And yet that solitude opens you to receiving the gift of a love that is deeper, further, and broader, more encompassing than anything that your heart could do on its own. We begin to love the world like God does. And, and that solitude, therefore, feeds into communion, which is why we see this, this maiden from Nazareth lost in, in the solitude of a relationship with God that's wholly unique, so special that when an angel comes to her at age 16 or however old she was, the angel actually refers to her as the one who has been blessed by God in such a way that it makes her tremble under the weight of this. And then the angel announcing that God has chosen her 
to be the one who will bear his own son in the world. And Mary doesn't flinch. <laughs> I mean, again, what a remarkable person. When this happens, when St. Joseph realizes, for example, who's a great man, that his, his spouse-to-be, the Virgin Mary, is going to be the mother of the Savior, he, he decides to dismiss her quietly because he, he, who is he to be close to someone so holy? Well, imagine how Mary felt. And there's Mary who's been being told that she's going to be so close to the Son of God himself. As her, I mean, and yet she goes for it. She embraces the solitude of greatness. So, and by embracing that solitude, that unique role that she has a relationship with God that's absolute. And what I'm trying to say is that when you see that, now all of a sudden you see this woman who's capable of giving her son to the world as a gift. I mean, from the, the moment of the birth, all of the shepherds come in and, and then she shares her son with the shepherds. She shares her son with the wise men. And then eventually she'll send her son forth on a path at Cana with his first miracle that will lead to his death. Mary doesn't keep him for herself because she herself is kept by God. Her solitude with God allows her to be a mother for the whole world. Because she's given everything to him, she can give everything about herself away. And th this is such a, an amazing thought, right? Could it, could it be the same for us? I mean, are we willing to embrace that solitude of saying nobody else is like me? Nobody else is endowed with the gifts that God has given to me. No one else has my name, but I do. And my name as spoken by God becomes the reference point for everything that I do. I will act as a son or a daughter of God. I mean, wow. Can you imagine if you had that perspective? What would you do as you go forth into your workplace? How would you manage and lead your people? It'd be a whole different scenario, wouldn't it? I'm not responding, in other words, to this or that social pressure. And I'm not even responding to the manipulation that's coming to me from my people. I'm responding to what's right because I'm leading this group, this organization, wherever I am, to, to glorify God and therefore to do what's best for the people, for the full flourishing of everyone involved, our customers, for the flourishing of our suppliers, for the flourishing of all the people that are there. We do good business and we, do, and we lead well from the heart because our hearts, our hearts are claimed by the highest of all reference points, by the highest of powers and the deepest of loves. You see, and maybe it's a, it's a hard thing to do to embrace that solitude. It usually is. And yet for those who do, well, leadership becomes a gift and a service and something we bequeath to those around us because they are, by following us, they too can discover that solitude of their name, the solitude of their identity. They too can discover the greatness of God's call in their life. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.